Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we pick a specific Alkaline Trio song and talk about it. This week is Warbrain. Thoughts of the shadows of feelings, always darker, emptier, and simpler. I don't care if they're fake or real. I didn't think that they're showing up at all. As black periods, who is not? I was just holding so that you would get all nervous about, did I do a good job on the intro? You did a great job on the intro, David Anthony. Mm-hmm. My name is Tim Crisp. Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we discuss an Alkaline Trio song. We got Warbrain this week. This is a big one, my friend. Oh, it's such a big one. So the format of this show is based on four playlists that we have created that kind of mar- you know demarcations of time within the alkaline trio canon this is on our fourth playlist which is timeless mm-hmm, without mm-hmm. time boundaries this is just everything that isn't a part of an lp that's not collected on the first alkaline trio self-titled record yeah so we got a that's a, a hefty list. Yes. A lot to sort through in there. So getting Warbrain. Getting Warbrain up top I, is a got good one. I'm so excited about this track, which I mean to me it's like it's one of the later just full on bangers. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 one of those like fan favorite songs that I'm kinda surprised by. Yeah. Just because it has the hallmarks of like their earlier material. Right. And it's also released around the time of like the Good Morning Crimson phase, but doesn't really fit in with anything they were doing at that point. It doesn't sound like either of those records. Yeah. And it comes off in this very like, you know, I think we went when we talked about uh, My Friend Peter being a really good example of like one of those songs that Matt just seems to crap out in 15 minutes. Yeah. And it, 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 as we've been doing this project, it's it's made me think a little bit about why they were always such a good like singles compilations band, uh-huh. you know, which was like a big deal at that time, and right. it seems really quaint now. Totally, but you know, when this came out, it came out on the Rock Against Bush compilation. Uh, Fat Wreck put this out in two thousand and four, and the list of people who contributed tracks to this comp is kind of a who's who Mm -hmm. of not only like you know punk or like you know in a large scale use of the term punk here but sure you know also bands like some 41 or green day green day has a track on here jello biafra has one on yeah and it's one of those things where these two comps i think you know are really great at capturing a moment in time but there are certain songs that stuck out to me because i got them as they came out Uh because there are bands i liked on them there were certain bands that were like, oh, that's the fucking one. And, right, and sure. Warbrain felt like that on, on volume one to me. Right. It was just yeah. such, and it's so early in the track list, you just really kind of get bowled over by this thing. It's crazy that they got that third spot right after some 41. I know, right? Their demo for Moron. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's r- right. And, and we discussed this 
a little bit with my friend Peter as well. Like, this was such a huge way to hear bands mm-hmm. at this time. Yeah. And to hit, you know, a standout track within 26 others. Yeah. 25 others. It was 26 songs on here. But, I mean, that is something that they just seem to do consistently. For sure. For sure. And and it makes me wonder when we're talking about how this didn't really fit in with the other records that they were kind of in between. Right. You know, is like, I wonder how much their approach differs because there are other songs we'll talk about that preceded this that I think did a similar thing. There's like really great standout, but also don't sound like anything else in the catalog, really. Right, right. And like, to me, that's such an interesting point of view because it's like, it makes me wonder like, yeah, is he just crapping these out and like not worrying about like, Oh well, it needs to fit this theme or this tone or this this whatever, you know. Right. Because it ends up this song, it just ends up feeling so its own, so unique in a catalog that occasionally hits those those peaks. Yeah, and it, it's like I love that it's called War Brain, but it's apolitical. It's apolitical, and I I've read uh you know in in your sense that like. Warbrain isn't even necessarily a political reference uh-huh. is that it's I think it was, you know, in, in very uh, typical Skiba fashion. It was about, you know, being so drunk that you wake up the next day feeling like you have a war brain. Ah, uh huh. That, that inability to form a cohesive thought. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. I mean, well, he, he's just he's just so great at that. Um, and I do think lyrically, if you extend it, that, that kind of makes sense with with some of what he's singing about. It's, you know, being being like an apolitical track, it does have this like kind of, it does fit within a political compilation just because yeah. it's like there's this, this desolate feeling to all of it and a sort of like, you know, harboring of like, all right, like, like, like how, how do we get back? How do we, how do we, how do we put this together? And I feel like there's like a lot of hopelessness that, you know, like you get out of political music it's so it's i'm sorry it's crazy to be sitting here in 2018 and trying to not just trying to wrap my head around feeling desperate politically in compared to now and like it's been funny seeing there's a lot of like you know george bush over the past five years has like, you know, like done this thing where people are just like looking at him as, as just this like benign goofball. He's the kooky old grandpa now. Right. And he, and he's got these, these sad looking paintings and, and God, yeah, he can't you know. put on a fucking poncho to save his life. He's got, yeah, he's, he's funny now. Right. And like, it's, it's so f- I'm sorry. It's so fucked right now, and so like you know, it's it 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 it's it's fucked in a in a sense that it's just like so hard to wrap your head around, and it's just so like constant. And it's interesting, I guess, to look back and you know think about the political climate then feeling benign mm-hmm. in comparison to now, where it feels like every single like like you know yeah I everything mean, that's going on just feels like it's at it's at a, a breaking point well it's also like you know trying to transport myself back in time to those periods like that's really when i became politically aware uh-huh. it's not like because of rock against bush but like 
I was anti-Bush. I was very young at the time. I was reading books, you know, about that. I was reading a lot of like left-wing theory. I was reading Noam Chomsky well before I should have been. Right. You know, and like I was super active and I was super angry and I fucking thought, you know, and still think like Bush was a war criminal. He's a callous, cowardly man. Yeah. Um, And I felt that very hard. I remember going to protests. I remember doing all of that. And like, you know, in a similar way, like I think I, it'll never be comparable because now we're just inundated with it everywhere. Right. That way I was only getting it through the news. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah. I wasn't getting a constant string of tweets or the, these things happening. You know. This, so it is yeah, inherently right. different. There's a re- the, a big part of the reason it feels like we're more at a breaking point now is because of that. But, you know, at that time, I very much remember feeling like, you know, the, the Islamophobia was as rampant as ever. Right. You know, there was a very, very, like, we were living in an incredibly racist world then, too. You know, and those things were just as heightened. You constantly, you know, it was post 9-11. Everyone thought we were going to be attacked at any point and that we were just poking the bear. Right. Right. You know, there was a, there was just as much happening, but we just weren't getting it as quickly. And I think that, like, you know, one of the big products of post 9 post 9-11 and the Bush era is a heightened, uh, you know, under the guise of security, suddenly, like, you know, we have things like the Patriot Act yeah. being passed, which is, like, just so unco- unconstitutional and fucked up, and, you know, the amount of surveillance that's being done on citizens. That's kind of, I think, important to note within this, like, you know, the fact that Fat Wreck... Mm-hmm. is doing a political compilation like that's an indicator of the fact that like yeah shit was fucked up then and it was scary and it was scary in like a claustrophobic sense and a paranoid sense and you know a, a a song like war brain even though it is it doesn't say anything specifically but i think it does really really communicate the feeling of that time of being watched of being you know within like a desolate landscape and not really recognizing like what your country was and being really fucking afraid of what your country was becoming well that and i think it does a good job of addressing a a a, a more personal feeling in regards to all that yeah you know the first line of the song is i can't go on Uh you know which is like a very you know it's pointed whether or not it's intending to be but, you know, the, the general thesis of this song is you're looking for something to take away that feeling, to take away that pain, even momentarily. You know, and we can have discussions about, like, what is a good way to do that? What is a good way for that? But I think in order for people to stay sharp and to stay focused is you can't negate any and all joy. Right. You know, and maybe that comes in a two-minute pop song. Maybe that comes in watching a movie with your friends. Or maybe that comes with turning your phone off for a few hours and doing something. And yeah. I think yeah, this yeah. song hits that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's a really good tie into, you know, current and it's, it's, a, it's an important thing and it's tough and it's tough to feel like you are allowed to have that. Mm-hmm. And, and I do love what's communicated in there. And I love the shout outs that he gives to fucking hot water music, mm-hmm. throwing down trusty chords and night on earth, which is a fucking like, I didn't know that guy liked the Mousing Souls. Yeah, and that's yeah. that is 
maybe my favorite Bouncing Souls song. It, it is arguably the best one. It's so um, fucking good. It's a great song, and it's also like a very atypical, uh, you know, Bouncing Souls song. Yeah, and I really like that as part of it. Um, they and had a really good ability of ending side one on a real like you know sure. moody note. Yeah, yeah. I think the Bouncing Souls. Uh, revisiting some of those records have aged better than others, but there are some really, really great stuff in, the, in their catalog. And I think that song, again, on a record that I don't think is really considered like a fan favorite, yeah, you know, is is a song that really jumps out. Totally. And uh, you know, especially at that time, like shouting out Hot Water, like they were never on the same level. You know, there was a period of time where Alkaline Trio was touring opening for them, but right. that would never happen again after 2000, Oh yeah, for sure. But I, I think one of the big things we need to address here that I think is often overlooked in terms of Alkaline Trio is yes, like this song technically apolitical. Mm-hmm. Them is a band. They don't really have many political songs at all. Yeah. However, you know, they had done two plea for peace tours and right. in, in, service of suicide prevention they did the rock against bush comp uh matt did the the protect comp to uh you know which was to donate money to, to help people uh, dealing with domestic violence issues you know he would speak very frankly ag- against george bush against these political things yeah even if it wasn't surfacing in songs so like you know yeah they were an apolitical band but th- they were not yeah idiots no, no, certainly. you know so i think <laughs> i mean they're idiots but not yeah you know the uh, they were active in ways that, like, I think it's hard to look back and, and, and see as much, you know? Well, I think that, you know, we talked about this uh, when we discussed Jawbreaker on the Better Yet podcast. But, you know, we talked about Blake being apolitical within his lyrics because it just didn't serve the band. Totally. And I think that, you know, this song works really, really well to communicate a feeling that you know, is political in the sense that everything is political. But if, 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 you know, Matt Skiba was, Matt Skiba decided to write a song about, uh, the fucking war in Iraq, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And I think they're aware enough of that. Uh And I think that's, that's an important demarcator. Like some people can do that really well. Some people cannot. you know, it's better that they are not taking up space in that dialogue that they don't have a right to while still being supportive of it. And I think that that's just a really important thing. I think for a lot of people moving forward in, in many issues, not everyone is uh, equipped to speak on something that other people are. Uh But you know, even if we look back to the first alkaline trio record, there's a very clear anti-cop song right there, Uh you know? So it's, it's, you know, maybe that's coming from a more personal privileged place, but I don't think they were ever overstepping their bounds or trying to speak on behalf of other people. Yeah, something to keep in mind, too, when everybody wants to fucking weigh in on everything. Yeah. Don't. Just be on the right side of things. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Weigh in when it matters. Sometimes it's good to shut the fuck up and let your actions and the things you're donating to and the things you are touring in support of and the places you are giving your money speak for you. Yeah, and let the people who haven't been talking for the entire time the opportunity to speak for once. So what we have here is a, you know, l- late golden era alkaline trio mm-hmm. banger. And what I really, really like about this song is that Matt's guitar playing evolves, you know, pretty interestingly from like 
from here to infirmary on mm-hmm. where, you know, he kind of, he takes his octave leads about as far as they can go. Yeah, yeah. And it's around like good morning era that he starts to, you know, throw in these pretty simplistic, but, you know, really, really um, unique and, and particular uh, guitar lines, guitar leads that, you know, they're, they're never difficult, but they're, they're always within his voice. Well, I, I think this falls into a bucket of songs that I would describe as fucking great song. Uh-huh. They can't play it live very well. Yeah, because sure. Because of layering. Uh-huh. This one you can get away with a little more because it's just it's that high kind of like yeah. you know evocative lead with the jonana part kind of uh-huh. you know which is not that much but you know it, those things are constantly playing together. Kind of hard to do when you're a three piece band, right? Yeah. But it falls into the same category as the songs that I would say are like on the Hot Water Music Split. Like totally. it's like a Queen of Pain where that song really has three guitar lines. I think without a song like Queen of Pain where he really went for broke on that, uh-huh. realized that was a song they can't really pull off, though yeah. I do love it when I oh, see them do it. The um, this song is a more you know, adequate version of that, and it also uh, you know, a more playable version of that. Totally. And also, it really harkens back to something that I didn't really realize until I started analyzing these songs for this podcast, which is that really up into a certain point, like a lot of their songs were really fucking short. Uh-huh. You know, I never yeah. thought of them as being like a, a band that wrote like two minute or less songs, but they do have a lot of those and a lot of those stick out. And this falls squarely within that camp. You, you just you don't need to carry it any further mm-hmm. than it's it's done. First chorus, first chorus. That's it. Well, it's that. And it's like if you really chop off the introduction of that, which is some feedback, that kind of like uh, answering machine thing. And do you Derek's know where that comes from? Yes, that was uh, fuck. I think it was either I think it was Nolan who was in the honor system and then a roadie for years and years with them, uh-huh. or I think uh, someone named Josh who also was in their camp. Okay, who like uh just like left a message on Skiba's phone and it was just like a poem he wrote. Uh huh. And that got that message gotcha. in full is just placed up top there. Uh huh. Um, whether to pad out time or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, but. Do you like it? I do like it. I like it a lot. I yeah. like that moody structure. Mm-hmm. I like the kind of feedbacking thing. I love Derek's drumming up top. Yo, before I forget, though, shout out, because Night on Earth, he does that same thing where he's switching the pickups, yep. and he's doing that at the beginning of the intro to this song. Just realized it, had to put it out there. Boom. Well, and it's also like, that's the thing, is Skiba is the type of nerd who I think would do that intentionally. Yeah. Like, that feels like an intentional callback, uh-huh. right? Um, and like even the structuring of the, the riff, that's trusty chords. Yeah, totally. That's the first part of trusty chords, uh-huh. you know? So like he's a thief, but he's good at it Yeah, when he's trying. Right. And when and he's, he's genuinely and he's inspired. It's like, Hey, here it is. Yeah. I'm and, telling and, you. And, and I'm I giving appreciate you a shout that. Out. Yeah. Because I, I think this is the thing when we were talking about, uh, in last episode about, uh, love, love or not love, love, uh, live young, die fast. Uh-huh. Uh, I almost spoiled another song I hate for Agony. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's him just like uninspired, right? right? Mm-hmm. You know, and just like really kind of grasping at straws. Even when he's kind of being self-aware uh-huh. about not really being inspired and like cribbing other material, he can do it really well. Yeah. You know, it's because he commits to it and he trusts himself a little bit. 
And and that's what you see here in this song. Totally. You know, is he just trusts his ability to write a song that's two minutes long, doesn't really fuck around with a bridge, just boom, 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 out. It's so confident. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like why going back to the the thing with comp tracks, it's that they're just they're always so confident going in there that they're going to be the one that you remember. They're going to be one of the three that you remember from that. Well, cuz that's the thing is that was the thing about a comp is you'd buy a comp knowing that not all 25 songs were going to be good. Right. But you know 225 would be good and you would find a record or two from a band that you now love. Uh-huh. And you know, Alkaline Trio had that from the jump from, you know, their first compilation appearance on the Yohan's Face Comp, Mark's a Dick and Gar's a Drunk. 97 boom, yeah closing track uh-huh unfuckwithable yeah you know it continued with seeing songs like snake oil tanker and cooking wine thrown on comps you know and but i think one of the biggest things about this song is matt's voice oh carries this God. so hard and after you know the good morning sessions where he was having all those vocal issues yeah to come out and, you know, still sound like him, but sound so clean yeah. and clear. It's just, it's really impressive. It's very striking. Yeah. And the, the presence of that rasp. I mean, this is arguably, my favorite record doesn't come from this era, but my this is my favorite era of the Alkaline Trio. I mean, it's, yeah. The, the, 2003 through 2005 yeah and i i think there's something special too about this is another great example of dan being able to really back him up yeah those courses on those of 59s Uh uh-huh you know especially at the end yeah you know and i know someone that's derek too because derek is you know the most talented member of this band on paper yeah you know but uh what you get a little bit of that vibe of what it was like when Glenn was there and all three were singing together and doing this thing. Right. And, and that's something that you didn't really get in the Mike era and you don't get a ton here, but when you see it, you're reminded of just how special it is. Chloe's demanding to make an appearance. Um, she likes the song too. One of the things I love about this track is the verses in this in this song are so heavily structured. Yeah. In the vocal melody, in the rhyme pattern, it's spaced out and there is such a huge hook from the onset. I can't go on. These limbs have grown too heavy. Like mm. the way he carries that first line and the way he adds to it, it's just like boom, that's that's picture perfect. And there's so much space there. So that when the chorus comes in, it comes in barreling. It's fast, and mm-hmm. he's delivering with a rapidity that you're just sucked into. Absolutely, and I think this is a, a, a this is something of a demarcation point. I think because this is a song that you know I think as we'll see going back uh-huh. he's he's not someone who writes a fuck ton of lyrics at a certain point and often reuses things yeah this is almost bordering on a second verse same as the first however he makes little tweaks and right. i think i think that is where he's really strong is because he changes a word or two mm-hmm. a line maybe yes but he expresses them slightly more emphatically uh-huh. or slightly more more resigned and that Which does that fits. does all the work. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it, it, it adds to it. And yeah. there's you know, it it is 
it justifies itself. Mm-hmm. It justifies itself that he just changes it from trusty chords to night on earth. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's a good thing. There's a lot, a lot to that. I love too that the chorus like doesn't have nearly the hook of the verse. Yeah. Until he says a fifty nine, which is in the inflection of the verse. Yes. Well, and it's also here's the thing listening to that made me think about it, is like. Is that even the chorus? Right. Or is that a pre-chorus and the chorus is all of seven seconds yeah, long sure. where he's saying of 59, uh-huh. of 59. Yeah, totally. What is the chorus here? That's the that's the real thing is because it's all just like, like we talked about with Armageddon, like with some of these songs, it's all incline. Uh-huh. You know, it all just builds and then boom and, and you're out. Right. And I think that's the interesting thing is so many of his songs, every part is such a hook yeah. when he's on that like... You really can't be like, oh, that's the part that makes it memorable. It's right. the whole thing coming together. Totally, and I and I I feel like you know there's there's a little bit of a of a like oh, you fucking you you found a way you found a way to do it. You know, you take that 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 chorus is you know that pre-chorus whatever you want to call it, it's great, but the you know the hook that he just throws in there at the very end. That's what you remember, and it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, he found a way. He found a way to like make it into a line, into I, a I, thing. I don't really appreciate you bringing up that Agony and Irony song right now, so I'll, I'll move past that. Um, but here's a question that I really need to know. <laughs> Do you think that uh, Storm of 59 is, is him singing about uh, the 59 sound before it came out? Yeah, he he predates he predates the fucking band that will never go away, the Gaslight Anthem. But they're on hiatus. Uh, no, they're back for the 10th anniversary of the record that... God, I just... I... Thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, please listen to the Gaslight Anthem, uh, who sponsor this podcast and their record, The 59 Sound. Thank you for the money. Gaslight I've got Anthem. it on uh, on on light blue vinyl if anybody wants to buy it. I've been meaning to put it on Discogs. I'm sure some dingus out there is going to pay $40 for it, right? I don't know, probably. Um what is a 59? What's the storm of 59? Do you know? No idea. No idea. He probably I, fucking made it up. I He either made it up or it's in like some weird book he read. Yeah. You know, so like maybe we could have done the research there, but it's so, it's such an obtuse reference, if anything. You know? Yeah. That I, I don't know what we're talking about here. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it about doesn't a, matter. Is it about a ship that sunk because of a bad storm? Uh-huh. Is it about a war? Is it about a sandwich i don't know i think that it's you know there's just something really magnetic about the entire presentation of all of it it doesn't fuck around it it like makes itself known very quickly it's in it's out it's done and like the attachment that people have to it Mm -hmm. you know to this day is is remarkable to me, I think, because I don't know. I can't remember hearing this song for the first time. Oh, I do. I really don't. Because I was going to ask you that because I remember getting the Rock Against Bush comp because they were also very cheap. Uh huh. Much like I, I, I reference like, you know, those big box chain stores, they would sell these things cheap, but compilations were always cheap. You had to get this at a Borders or a fucking wherever. Yeah. Best Buy Circuit City thing. Yeah. It was like yeah. five bucks. Yeah, it was like five bucks, and the money was going to a charity, and there were all these bands on it, right? And I remember getting it, 
because at the time I was an alkaline trio obsessive. If they were on a comp, I was going to get that comp. Yeah. You know, I was chasing down every, I was chasing everything basically. And I remember getting it, but like, I was also like, I didn't just skip to their song. You know, I wanted to hear the whole thing. You wanted to hear the Sum 41 demo of Moron. It was very important to me. You know, I just... Shout out, though. None More Black gets number one spot on Which top. is crazy, That's right? That's fucking insane. Well, because here's the thing. Uh, you know, when I did an interview with Laura Jane Grace for Noisy, we talked about when Against Me went on tour, on a fat tour, and it was anti-flag, Rise Against, uh-huh. None More Black, them. Right? Yeah. First of four. Everyone at Fat thought None More Black was going to be the band. That's crazy. Everyone thought None More Black was going to be the band. But Against Me ended up being the band. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And I do wonder how much that was a little bit of stuff in the ballot box right there. Because, you know, as much as we can talk about this all being for charity, da, 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 it is ultimately a promotional tool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So why not lead with the thing you want people to buy? File under black. Uh-huh. You know? eternal cowboy whatever yeah you know but like that's not how history played out yeah it's so crazy like no more black is one of the no more black is like a band that people fucking love yeah they're such a niche band and it's i'm just gonna be real here i don't really get it really i they have some songs i really like yeah but uh you know i was a huge kid dynamite fan. i like kid dynamite a lot more yeah no more black is not one of those bands for me yeah you know um and i don't know if it was not touring enough i don't know what it was but there was just some about them that i they weren't the one to connect yeah for sure no that makes sense i i i don't love them either i guess yeah i think i just like root for them you know that's fair i think that's fair but it's it's more more an extension of loving kid dynamite Mm mm-hmm well, welcome back to This is Satire and None More Black podcast. You're so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's interesting, I guess, because I'm like, uh, you know, I don't I don't remember. I guess I don't. Re- I'm trying to like trace back to where I was because this is a, the era of Alkaline Trio that I did love the most. But I feel like I was leaving punk a little bit. Sure, like, sure. A Fat Wreck compilation for me. 2004, junior, senior year of high school, and this actually came out on 420, 2004. Um, I think I was like, you know, getting a little bit more casual with my Alkaline Trio love, even though I was like into what they were doing. Well, I mean, around this time in my life, I was younger than you, but like, I wouldn't say I was getting out of punk. I was getting way more into aggressive stuff. Like at this point in my life, like... Alkaline Trio was really like the only kind of holdover of the super melodic pop punky thing. Uh-huh. You know, I was not really into like fat or epitaph sounds all that much. I was, you know, 2004, I was, you know, listening to Crass and fucking, you know, getting really into anarcho punk and, and studying Flux of Pink Indians LPs and uh, yeah. that type of shit. Yeah. And also fine. like exploring metal more, getting uh-huh. really into things like Converge or things like His Hero is Gone, just like that was really where I was at at that point in time. So the fact that Alkaline Tree was still resonating with me, it wasn't a guilty pleasure, but they were now the anomaly. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like I was moving backwards. Like I was really into Kid Dynamite at this point Mm -hmm. because I'd just gotten into Lifetime. For sure. And I was also, I think, starting to follow indie rock a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Alkaline Trio was a holdover to an extent. Fat Records 
I'd kind of left behind. So, you know, I mean, there's even to this day, I think there's maybe two or three more fat wreck releases from then to now that I would say are good. Yeah. I, I, I never really like aligned with fat records too much. It just was never really my thing. Um, but yeah, I heard this on remains like for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's funny within remains even because it's buried in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, Remains is a sprawling release, right? Uh-huh. You know, it's it's long. And I always liked it because it is a progression chronologically. Yeah. You know, I like that as like, this is what happened over time, uh-huh. which is not true of the first self-titled comp, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, the earliest songs are at the end, uh-huh. which is, in, in, you know, deliberate choice, I'm sure. And so, But, like, I, I like this for that reason because really those first, 10 11 songs they just really kind of blow through you yeah you for know? sure and warbrain is warbrain's kind of the last one that one man army split comes after that and that split is a dud i i've softened on it slightly it doesn't it's they're very forgettable songs i like the end of remains a lot because uh-huh. I, I like some of those crimson era b-sides yeah quite a bit um but yeah, it, it's really interesting because the early stuff on there, those are songs that I love. Yeah. Those are songs well. that I'm like very into. And Warbrain, yeah, you know, I don't want to say it's like, you know, the last great song. I don't think that's the case, but it's definitely like the last of an era. Because, I would say so. Because also the compilations dried up shortly thereafter. Yeah, you know, totally. That wasn't really a thing for much longer. And with that being such a, you know, centerpiece of their, you know, uh, output to a certain degree, you know, it, it's not surprising that those type of songs don't exist anymore for them. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's it's gotten to a point where they just don't really seem to communicate with. I mean, that world is is has passed. Yeah. But like, you know, I don't know what an equivalent would be, but the Alkaline Trio are kind of in their own. Bubble. They're in their own world, yeah, and like I think that's the thing is we're we're existing in a weird point where a lot of these bands that leaned on each other in this ecosystem are now just kind of islands unto themselves. Yeah, they're maybe maybe all at Riot Fest or something, but they're not like really doing package tours together. They're not really on the road. You know, these bands stopped doing Warp Tour shortly after this. Like, the, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. really what that era was for good and bad. Um, I think ultimately for good. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I do think there is something about a compilation thing like that where, you know, bands would really have to bring their A game because you're like, oh, I'm going to be in a thing with this band and this band and this band. And, you know, that that did help breed community and commonality and expose people to sound slightly askew. And I, I do think that is the thing that is mostly missed. Right. And I think, you know, there's something to be said, too, about like good competition. Mm-hmm. Healthy competition. Healthy competition, because what we love here is capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you rate this song? This gets five skulls out of five for me. I I would not change a thing about it. You know, now it becomes like now it becomes a, a just a questioning of what your star ratings mean, what your skull ratings mean, mm-hmm. because for me. Five out of five. That's that's such an esteemed level. Yeah, that's that's the Hall of Fame. That is yeah. If you have a if you have a Hall of Fame that's filled with twenty five songs, that ain't much of a Hall of Fame. 
Well, I think that's fair. I would I would say this is a top twenty for me. Like this is high up on the list for me yeah. of of all time great Alkaline Trio songs. However, you know, we've got a hundred plus. Right. I think twenty five can fit into an esteemed category on their own. Much like, you know, there's a wealth of center fielders in this world. Doesn't mean we can't add new ones. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like the WWE Hall of Fame has to put in like five people each year. Yeah. And it's like, man, this is just like not that big of a reservoir. You got Coco true. Beware in the WWE Hall of Fame. He paid his way in, though. Legitimately. To be fair. Here, here's one thing, especially that we kind of skipped past, but I really wanted to say about this point. is A lot of people shoot on Derek Grant, the drummer. Uh-huh. Oh. Not without oh, reason. My God. But. Derek Grant on this track on this track i think it's tasteful drumming and it also shows one of the things that i think he does better than the other drummers which is very minor simple accents that play with the riff and vocal melody yeah and his you know kind of hidden the bell part and the choruses is really one of the most tasteful and inventive things i think he committed to tape and for me i think this is this is a five star because it represents an era and it's a five star from an era I think every era, no, well, not every era. Uh huh. Every era has a five star or two. But I think thinking about this in the wealth of the comp tracks, thinking of it in the era of that band, it really stands out head and shoulders above a lot of things. I think there are songs that structurally are better. There are songs that mean more to me yeah. that would not get that same rating because I think this is a perfect Alkaline Trio song. I. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five. And it's probably to the detriment of this song, which I know the song itself is having a really hard time listening to this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. listening to me in my bedroom while I poke my dog with a stick because she's licking her paws. Me saying that this is not a five out of five, I know it's harmful to the sensibilities and the self-esteem of Orbrain, the entity. Um, but we're only five in. I, I can't dole out another five skulls out of five skulls. I already did that with my friend Peter. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hold him. Maybe we get further down the line. If we'd been doing this, I'd, I'd give it five out of five. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. Cause my five out of five is firmly established. Sure. But I I mean I'm just gonna say, you know, I'm not gonna let any rules prevent me from shooting from the hip and call them as I see them. If fucking the last episode got a point five, this one gets a full five. Damn. Um if you wanna hear David shoot from the hip, which he is watch out. He's always shooting. Bang bang! Um Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Tell a friend about the show. You can also listen to me on the Better Yet podcast. Subscribe to that. Tell a friend. All of the stuff. But thank you for coming by, for joining us, for As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. It's four o'clock in the morning. This sucks. (laughs) 